So several months ago, I bought this key. And it's from an organization called The Giving Keys. It's the second one I've bought like it. And they're called The Giving Keys because you, you can buy one with a word stamped on it or you can have them stamp a word on it for maybe a season that you're in. My last key said lean because God was like, you need to lean into me right now. And then when you feel like he's taking you through that season, the Holy Spirit will inevitably bring another person, another woman into your path who is in that season and you give them that key. Okay, And they also um, employ people that are in poverty or homeless, give them jobs, stamping these keys. So it's a really neat um, organization. I had them stamp the word surrender on it. I had come to a point where I was confronted with the reality that I was holding on to old dreams and old plans for my life that just hadn't come to pass that hadn't happened. And it was causing me to feel dissatisfied, um, doubt, some resentment, and just a feeling of failure. Things hadn't turned out the way I thought they would. Has anyone been there? <laughs> this is not what I thought was going to happen, right? When I went to seminary as a woman in my 20s, I had great aspirations. I was like so excited to serve the Lord. I felt called to be a preacher to men and women, either traveling the world with conferences or something. I just assumed I'd marry a pastor and I'm so glad I married my, my husband and not a pastor <clears throat> because then we'd be two pastors trying to do things. So I love my husband, so supportive. Um, so I thought I'd be doing that or I'd be serving, you know, in a church um, I earned a Master's of Divinity degree, so there was Greek and Hebrew, all the pastoral stuff, all the fun and hard stuff all together. Um, not every man thought I should be there. Um, some thought it was cool and unique that I was there, but they also didn't appreciate that I was there because I was a woman, but God called me to be there. And so I couldn't be anywhere but there, right? When God puts that on you and you just go. I was right there with Isaiah, like we've been talking about, right? Here am I. Send me, Lord. Send me. I'll go. I'll go wherever you want me to. Just let me be a part of what you're doing. So on paper, I am ready and qualified to pastor and preach to any congregation anywhere. Friends at Fuller used to tell me how they could see me. Oh, I could totally see you teaching on TV or doing itinerant ministry where you're like traveling all over the world and doing all that stuff. So exciting. I was so passionate. I was so excited. I was so ready to be used. Just, okay, I've got it. I graduated. Click, click. Got my diploma. Let's go change the world, right? But 20 years later, now, um, I'm still in a world where a woman preaching is not the norm. And I don't know if any of you guys know Christine Kane. I, got, I was able to go to a small group uh, thing with her, and she was like, I kept hoping the needle would shift over time because she preaches all over the world. And she goes, I look back at the needle. It still hasn't shifted where women are just, you know, preaching everywhere. I'm thankful here at Cornerstone we have Becky that people can see, oh, a woman can be up there, right? 
But I'm still in this world where women preaching isn't the norm. I'm not preaching to our congregation. I'm not pursuing full-time ministry, which I thought I'd be doing, because God called me to homeschool. So I'm like, oh, wait, I thought I was going to minister full-time. Well, no, I need you to homeschool your kids. Okay, I'll, I'll homeschool my kids. But sometimes unfulfilled dreams can feel crushing, right? Man, when I graduated, I thought I was just going to take the world by storm. I was so excited, like fire in my bones, right? I know some of you guys know that feeling. You thought for sure you'd be married by now. You thought you'd have that life. You knew exactly where you were going to be at 30, and then 30 came and went, and it, what, you still aren't there. You had plans for your later years, and then when your kids came back home, now that doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. You thought you would have that life, that job, that ministry, that family. But what happened? So one night at the end of last year, I just said, forget it. Forget it. I'm never going to be who I thought God called me to be when I left Northern California and moved down south to go to seminary. And instead of just waiting patiently on his timing, because his ways are higher than mine, and the Bible is full of God saying something's going to happen, and then the promise happens like 50 years later or whatever, or even longer, I decided I was going to pull out of all ministry, even bagels and Bible. I was just, I kind of just threw a tantrum. I'm just going to take my toys and go home, Lord, because if, I, I'm just failing. I'm just not who you, who you put in my heart to be. I would raise my kids, pastor my family, but I would no longer aspire to old dreams of being a preacher. I was done feeling like I had failed. And then the next morning, while I was taking a shower, telling God, I just give up. I give up. He spoke so clearly to me, and he said, don't give up. Give it over. Give it over. Surrender all of it to me. Can you do that? Can you give that all to me? The hopes, the dreams, the discouragement. It's like he pressed right on that place in my heart that was hurting, full of disappointment, and said, I need you to surrender that part. I need you to give me that part. Can you give me all those things that you thought would happen? Just give it over to me and let me handle it. Are you willing to surrender? And not knowing what it would look like, as we always should when God asks us to surrender, I said, yes, yeah, I'll do that. And the next day I was on a walk and I was praying and God asked me, what's your field? And I thought about it and I said, well, my family, homeschooling my kids and bagels and Bible. And he said, then put your hand to the plow, stay in your row and work your field. Put your hand to the plow. Kim, get to work, right? Stay in your row. Quit comparing yourself to everyone that's doing what you think you should be doing or everything you wish you were doing or everything you didn't think. You, you're just stop looking at everyone else's row and where everyone's at in their row and what everyone's doing and planting in their row. Stay in your row. 
Do you know when you're plowing, the plow throws the dirt to the right and it brings up all sorts of nutrients as it turns it. And so you have to do a straight line and then the next one you do to the left so that you keep creating these furrows. Well, if I were to want to be in that row and just take my plow over to that row, I'm literally trampling on someone else's work and leaving my field untended, unplanted, unwatered, and there's fruit that needs me to grow, but I'm not over there because I want to be in this row. Stepping on what someone else is doing, right? I found this awesome image um, from England, World War One uh, and Two. The men would go off and the women needed to work the land, right? The women's land army, there's the plow, and it says, God speed the plow and the woman who drives it. And I just thought, that is so perfect. God speed the plow and the woman who drives it. Lastly, work your field. Pour all you have into where I've planted you. Pour all you have into where I've planted you. That was my first assignment as a surrendered servant. And there are a number of women here this morning that are going to get these same directives. Okay? Put your hand to the plow, stay in your row, and work your field. And if you came just for that this morning, that would be enough. Okay? A surrendered servant strives to be fully surrendered to what God wants to do in the present. Just ready. There's no personal agenda, right? Fully willing to do or not do what he asks, no matter what it looks like. It might not be glamorous. It probably won't be. It might be inconvenient. It probably will be. It might make you uncomfortable. But a heart that surrendered to God does it anyway. I want to thank all of you ladies that come here each month and sift through the word with me and learn with me and hug me and eat bagels with me. Um, bagels and Bible waters my surrendered heart like you have no idea. The joy and the refreshment that it brings me preparing and coming here and spending this time with you guys. Um, serving you guys has brought so much healing without you even being aware of it. So I'm super thankful that every month all y'all come and we just get to study and learn together. It's such a huge um, blessing to me. So thank you. When we choose to give our lives over to God, we become his, right? We make a commitment to surrender our lives to him for his purposes, to be a living sacrifice. And that means surrendering our previous pursuits, desires, our previous way of living, submitting them all to him. And then taking up from him the life that he has for us. And the most amazing thing is, we're surrendering to a God who loves us wholeheartedly, whose plans for us are good, whose promises are yes and amen. When we offer him our lives, he doesn't just use and abuse us, right? He defends us. He heals us. He loves us. He gives us purpose. He empowers us. He's safe to surrender to. He's safe to let down your guard and surrender to. 
Our example of surrender was God himself in his son Jesus. While he was on earth, Jesus willingly set aside his independent authority. He completely submitted himself to the will of the Father. And he told his followers, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He took the very nature of servant out of love for us. And then he calls us to do the same out of love for him. This word surrender means to give up claim to, to give over or yield, especially voluntarily, as in favor of another. Commonly implies the giving up of something completely after striving to keep it. And that's why these little white flags are on your table, because it's this idea of saying, I surrender, just take it. I'm not going to guard this anymore. I'm not going to guard this fort. I'm not going to guard this dream. I'm not going to guard what, what I want. I just surrender and I'm going to yield and you can just take it and then do whatever you want with my life. That's surrender. It's a relinquishment, letting go of something, letting go of our agendas, our five-year plans, and submitting them to him, giving it all over to God. And this can be really hard. But what it comes down to is, do you trust him? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust that if you surrender your life and plans to God, that he's going to be with you and he's going to lovingly direct you in those plans? Do you trust that he holds your life in his hands, that he's able to work things out? He's got the details and he can work it out. Do you believe that he has important things for you to accomplish in this world if you let him, if you just submit your life to him? When we give our lives to Jesus, we're no longer our own. We are his. And here's the thing. In surrendering our lives to him, we're then obligated to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on the people around us and the communities that he's placed us in and serve those in need around us. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. So this is the Last Supper. Of course, they didn't know this was the Last Supper. Jesus did. He had been talking about how, how much he was looking forward to this meal because he knew it was his last meal with them. Everyone's reclined at the table. He institutes what we know as communion, and he breaks the bread and passes the wine, do this in remembrance of me, and then a couple of the disciples go and totally like ruin the moment like Thanksgiving dinner and then that one uncle or whatever, that everything's going great, then you're like, oh, here we go, you know. So this is what happened. Verses, uh, verse 24. I looked down and I'm in Acts 22. That would be a different sermon. Probably an awesome one too, but you know. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader, the servant. 
For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. This topic of who was greatest came up because Jesus had just said, hey, somebody's going to betray me, okay? And everybody's like, well, I know it can't be him, and it's certainly not me. I mean, look at me. Look at all the things I've done. They start listing their resumes, all the things that they've done. I'm a great leader. I helped pick up all those baskets of food that time. Like, there were a ton of baskets, and I totally helped. Even though I was busy, I picked up baskets. And um, I'm a self-starter. You know, so I'm actually, it's totally not me. I'm actually pretty great. Well, I'm pretty great, right? Well, I'm his favorite, right? They all had these plans for their greatness. And Jesus hears this conversation where their idea of greatness was based on popularity or their leadership potential or what they had done. And he interrupts them to inform them that in fact, greatness is defined by service and humility. You want to be great? Service and humility. Surrender. He says, you want to be the greatest? Be like the youngest. You want to be a leader? Be a servant. Their world was caught up in greatness. The Gentile kings, they would, they lorded their authority over, the, over their people, right? And then they would do something like give them money for a need or to help them do something. But then they'd say, I've given you this money. Sure, you may call me benefactor. You know, you can give me that title, which means it's somebody who gives money. But they would do it for that recognition. And then that recognition gave them more power. And then that power gave them more greatness. So it was all backwards. They would give to get the attention, to get the power, to get the greatness. And it's in this kind of great is better context that Jesus calls his disciples to do the complete opposite. I need you to be like the youngest. I need you to be like the servants. Becoming like the youngest meant becoming insignificant. The children had no sort of social status that would demand any sort of recognition or any sort of special treatment. And to become like a servant meant taking care of the needs of others as a literal like table servant would. In the Greek world, the word diakonia, or service, was considered the opposite of happiness, right? Plato even said, how can one be happy when he has to serve someone? Because you just, how can you be happy in serving? All of this is kind of around that culture. Servitude was not something to strive for, but Jesus' kingdom has always been a little upside down right? Matthew 20 has an account of a similar situation, except this time it involves a mom. Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit on your right and on your left. Jesus is like, "Um, can can you drink my cup? Because he knows the cup that he wants to have passed. And they're like, yeah, pastor, we can drink your cup. You know, rabbi, we got this. And he's like, I don't know if you know what cup I'm talking about. 
So she's asking, or really saying, why don't you command that they're at your right and at your left? Now, I am learning that since my son turned 11 and just entered middle school here, that I probably need to step back and not try to arrange play dates anymore. <laughs> right? I've learned that I've overused the term play dates, and now he's in junior high. Um, it was so nice when he was little, and I could sort of just arrange his friends like some overlord you know, and decide who he was going to spend time with and who he would see. And a lot of times it was just based on how much I liked their mom and I wanted to have coffee with her. And so you guys are going to be great friends, you know. It was awesome. Um, but now I'm learning to step back and he makes his own friends besides the ones that I lovingly curated in his childhood, which he can thank me for someday. When this mom oversteps and makes such a request all the other disciples are completely annoyed and irritated with those two brothers. And the brothers were probably like, Mom, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. So this is a text. Dude, what are you up to? This is Josiah. Just hanging out with Jesus and the guys. Hold on a sec, my mom needs me. That, that's a little face palm. You will never believe what my mom just did. Who can tell me what ASMH is? If you know what it is, you're cool. Shake my head. Oh my gosh, mom. Oh my gosh, mom. Right? Anybody ever been there where you're like, mom, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just did that. That's the sons of Zebedee right there. <laughs> Jesus says something very similar to what we read in John, but the language gets even stronger. Back in Matthew, still in Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them to himself, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word for servant used in John is diaconeo, and it means minister, servant. You wait tables, you prepare food, you care for the sick, etc. In Matthew, the word is doulos, which carries more the idea of a slave, devoted to another person to the disregard of one's own interests. A bond slave, a slave, um, the metaphor is one who gives himself up to another's will. So a slave. So is he saying we have to become like slaves? Yeah. Yeah. Now in context, servanthood in general wasn't viewed in this time period as negatively as it was in the Greek world, but it still wasn't a lifestyle that you aspired to. You became a servant out of need. You needed that work. And it required you prefer a master over yourself and caring for their needs first before your own. Jesus is telling them and us, if you want to be great, get ready to put the needs of others before yourself. <coughs> that doesn't always come naturally to us. And in reality, there are times that we absolutely do not want to do that. That's just the truth. That's why it's easy to get stuck in the space between surrendering and servanthood, right? Between the, I surrender all on Sunday, and sure, I'll take you to the airport on Wednesday. 
or here am I, send me, and yes, I'll bring you a meal because you are just haggard and you just need a break. Like sometimes there's a space between I surrender all and then playing that out in service. There are many times in the Gospels where even though the disciples had given up their jobs, money, comforts, etc., and surrendered their lives to Jesus, they were still looking out for themselves. In Mark 9, it's so funny because it says, they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he began to question them. He's like, so guys, what were you guys talking about on, on the way here? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. So I'm pretty sure if you guys are walking with Jesus that the greatest award has already been handed out and there's no greatest up for grabs, but, you know, they were trying to figure it out. These were like guys that walked with Jesus, still trying to figure out which one is greater. But it's easy to do that even when we're walking with Jesus. We all have a, desire, a drive in us to be great, and it can be good. That's what, you know, we reach for the prize. We keep going in the race. We just go, go, go. There's, that's, there's a, there can be a good, healthy God-drivenness to that. It's a problem when we want to be great in the eyes of others, to be noticed, to be rewarded, to be acknowledged. Anyone else have, like, words of affirmation as a love language? So you can just tell me all day long how great I am, and I will not say, oh, no, stop, stop. I'll just be like, and again, and let's start tomorrow. I mean, I love to be, that just fills up my tank. And so I have to watch that, that I don't do things just to get my tank full, just to be told that, right? Our focus should be becoming great in his eyes, which comes through surrender, humility, and service to him and to others. John 13 is a perfect example of Jesus doing this very thing that he was calling his disciples and us to do. So I'm going to read a little bit out of John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Foot washing was in place for masters and guests as they entered into a house for a meal. Generally, there was a Gentile table servant on hand to wash their feet. And the, they wore sandals, and it was, they were always in dust or dirt. And so imagine, like, camping with your family for a week, you know, or washing the feet of, of a group of people that have camped for two weeks in flip-flops. And you're literally beneath them. They're literally looking down on you. And as we know from reading about some of the disciples, they think they're better than you, right? Because they're thinking they're great. 
Dignity goes out the window. So don't put that, oh, there it is. I was going to say, don't put it up yet. When I was looking for pictures of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, there are so many pictures where he is fully robed, he has a golden sash, he's got a halo, and he's just like so beautiful, right? Here's the reality. He set aside his garments, girded his waist with a towel as a servant, and then washed their feet. And this is in um, Pittsburgh, Texas. And this was more powerful to me than any of the famous paintings out there because he's got a towel around his waist, his hair's in his face, he's down washing his feet. That's what it looked like. He looked like a servant. If anybody would have walked in, they would have just seen a servant. They would have seen his back over, his hair in his face. He fully took on that position. He had no pride to keep him from doing that. He had, he just did it. And I just think this is so beautiful of a picture of Jesus. I just, I love it. If you get a chance, look up pictures of Pope Francis washing feet. This Pope went to a women's prison and washed the feet of these women prisoners, and women weren't allowed to have their feet washed for a long time. He went to a center of migrants where there were Muslims and um, Hindus and, and Jews and Christians, and he washed their feet and he kisses them. And you see the row of people, and there's one man, you see the shame. You see another man with disbelief because this man is great in the kingdom, but he has stooped down and is washing their feet. It just is backwards to them. And I love that he takes that. And he says, I do it because Jesus told us to do this, to serve. And I'm trying to show him Christ's love through what I'm doing. They're really beautiful. Jesus laid aside his garments, just like he laid aside his heavenly authority, all to serve us. And the love that was shown in the laying down of his life at the cross is foreshadowed here in the foot washing as he laid aside his garments. And I just, you know, when he came to earth, he laid aside his authority and came to earth. And then at the Last Supper, he lays aside his garments and serves. And then at his death, he laid aside his life. He was willing to lay things aside to do the Father's will. What is he asking you to lay aside this morning? What needs to be laid aside? Look back at verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he took that position as a servant, right? Jesus knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew who had sent him and where he was going. He was fully surrendered and had nothing to prove. And it was out of that confident knowing that he could step out and serve in such a humble and powerful way. Ladies, we know who we are, right? We're women of God. We know whose we are. We know who sent us. We know where we're going. So we have that same confidence to lay aside our stuff and humbly and powerfully serve those around us. It's out of that confident knowing the truth of the core of our identity in Him that we cannot care about anything else and serve. 
So what does it look like to be a servant? I have three things and then one thing that it's not. Number one, servanthood is an attitude of the heart. The goal is to love people and to demonstrate that love through serving them. It could be watching someone's kids, giving them a ride, cleaning their kitchen, making a meal, taking someone to coffee and just listening, right? It's giving someone else your time, which is so like more valuable than money these days. People would rather give money than time because time is so valuable. Like if it was on the stock market, it would be like, boop, like Dow Jones. If time could be spot and sold, can you imagine how much that would trade for? Time is so valuable, but it's so precious and needs to be shared. That's a big way to serve is time. And it shouldn't be a means to an end. Servanthood should not be a means to an end. I once knew someone who set up a Mexico missions trip for their church. This was down when I was in L.A., which seems really awesome and looks a lot like service, right? Except one of his main reasons for doing that is because he liked this girl. And if she could just see him in action, planning this missions trip, she would totally fall in love with him and see him as like her husband. And wouldn't that be awesome? That was his motive for doing that. And we've all been guilty of that at some point or another. I know I have. That's the truth. Doing something good or serving or helpful to be noticed, to be acknowledged, right? To be promoted. We're all, we've all done that. But we have to remember that God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. We just check our motives and we remember, I'm here to impress God. I'm here to impress God and nobody else. Number two, servanthood is consistent. You can't just serve the beautiful and healthy. Let your love and service go beyond that, okay? Serve the Syrian refugees by sending them water. Serve teen moms. Donate some of your time. Volunteer at Livermore Pregnancy Resource Center where they always are getting these teen moms or at Shepherd's Gate where they have women that have been abused. There's ways that, that you can serve these people in our community. And we can't just serve people that can do something for us in return, right? Jesus knew Peter would deny him. Jesus knew Judas would doubt him, Jesus, or would turn him in and betray him, right? He knew Thomas would doubt him, but he washed their feet. Knowing all that, he washed their feet. He showed them his unconditional love. And number three, servanthood requires sacrifice. And then we sort of find ourselves back at surrender. We give over our time, our pride, our finances, our plans, and we submit them for his use. So how does this apply to us here at B&B? What are ways that we can demonstrate God's love to one another and to our communities? Well, I often see you ladies talking for an hour and a half after. If you can, somebody's had a hard time at your table, they're going through a hard time, hey, let's, let me take you to lunch. Let's go, let's go to Panera, right? Get someone out. Spend time with them. Volunteer your time for church events like the Compassion Experience or host a community group and get people in your home that, that need a place, that are looking for authentic relationships and wanting to gather together, right? Serve in your child's school classroom. Be Jesus in that classroom. Even though you're probably legally not allowed to talk about it, you can still serve or at church, at work, offer to help someone with a move. 
They're moving? How can I help you? Or a project? Help them. It's going to seem weird to the world, but serve them. Show love, help out, right? As a side note, if you are a mom of small kids, they are your disciples and you are serving them. And they are full-time service, right? But still listen to the Holy Spirit to see if there's someone else that needs you. Um, and what servanthood is not, it's not guilt-driven, number one. You don't do it because you feel guilty. You do it because you feel prompting from the Lord. Number two, it's not saying yes to everything. Servanthood isn't just simply being a yes person and ending up doing ministry every day of the week for months and months and months, and you never have time for yourself or your family. Don't say yes to everything. That's not servanthood. You're wanting to impress God, not your peers. So ask the Lord, what do you want me to do, or should I do this? Okay, so don't worry. There's no pressure to do everything that's asked of you. It's just Jesus saying, hey, do what I just did. I served you, I washed your feet, now you guys go do that too. And that's what he's saying to you ladies this morning. I served you, I set aside things, I washed your feet, now you guys go do that. Heather and I are looking into some ways we can serve as a community, and I'm really excited to see what that's going to look like. Um, but I want to tell you about two ministries specifically that I would love to collect money for this summer. And I'm going to be posting about it, and there's some other ones we're looking at soon. But we also want a hands-on service opportunity. So email me if you know of some, because I really, I'll post an email. But we want to do something as a community. Um, I picked these two because Preemptive Love Coalition is in Mosul in Iraq. They actually live there, and they are bringing food and water to the people who are getting bombed out right now. Some are Muslim, some are Christian. They don't care. They go in, and they love them in Christ, and they are providing for the needs of these people. They're refugees. We may not agree with their religion, but we are going to serve them because Jesus washed our feet, so we're going to wash theirs. So this is one, and A21 um, rescues and rehabilitates and helps those that have been trapped in um, slavery. And it can be labor or sex slavery, and they just are passionate like a, a hunting dog sniffing out and going after and, and um, going after the, the perpetrators and rescuing those. And since we've talked about slavery, I thought this is so perfect. The ones that are slaved by Satan and victims, let's, let's help that ministry rescue them. So I'll email you guys about that. Surrendering feels hard in the moment, but it brings so much joy when we do it, it satisfies our hearts, it uplifts our spirits, even hard work is uplifting. It takes me probably 25 hours to prep for a message with you guys, and it is like joy to me. I love it. I love every minute of getting ready to come meet with you guys. It's just, you know, it brings, God gives you joy. You can trust God with the details of your life. You can surrender to him. He's in your future. You're not alone. Maybe things haven't turned out how you hoped, but he's, trust, he's trustworthy, and he's, he's good, and he's faithful. And as you submit and surrender and line up your life with his, he will guide you into his perfect plans for you. And I have a, a word for a single woman here. I don't know who it is, but I felt like the Holy Spirit said this is 
This is for someone here. I was reading Isaiah 51, verse 2, when he, and it's, it's God through Isaiah talking about Abraham. When he was one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. If you're a single woman here today, God can call you as one. You don't have to put your life on hold until you have that husband. Whether you're divorced or you've never been married, when he was one, I called him. And then I blessed him and multiplied him. So listen for him. Because he's not turned off by your oneness. He will call you in your oneness and bless you and multiply you. So don't, just keep your ear open. Um, Yeah, I guess I should just leave it at that verse. When he was one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. And that's for someone here this morning, for sure. Um, Okay, I'm going to pray. Jesus, uh, you're so incredible. You set aside so many things and became like the lowest of the low for us. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would need that into our hearts this morning, this truth that Jesus came to serve, that he emptied himself, that he set aside his authority, he set aside his garments. He set aside this life. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that for each and every woman here, including myself, you are our guide. The word says you're our guide. And the idea is that you, you know the territory ahead of us, even if we don't know. And I pray for each and every woman here that, Holy Spirit, you would guide them into opportunities of service, into opportunities of, of surrender, God, that you would woo them and call them to go deeper into you and to answer your call, and to set aside things that you've been asking them to set aside, and to surrender plans that they've held on to. If you're saying, hey, I need you to surrender that, can you just give that to me? Can you just hand it over to me just for a bit? I'll take good care of it. Just give it over to me and trust me. Just guide us. We know if we're in your hands, we are safe and good and cared for and loved. So help us to follow your example, Jesus, as a servant, surrendered. I thank you that we are still somehow rewarded with joy and spiritual satisfaction because you're so good. But help Holy Spirit, fill us up fresh this morning as we head into the weekend. Fill us up to serve our families and the people around us. Keep us mindful of this word. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We bless your holy name. Amen. There are some, there are some discussion questions on your sheet. You have like 10 minutes, but you know you guys always stay long, so you can stay long.